Hello. Hello. So, um, as I was saying to you earlier, I watched The Joker last night with the husband. Oh, yes. yes. With the uh, Joaquin. Joaquin or Joaquin? I can't I, remember how to. No, I met him. I know. Didn't he ask you out? Oh, I bloody wish. No. <laughs> did he give you the eye, the glad eye? He did give me the eye. No, I met him in a car park. That's right. It was a car park. We were in LA and I actually thought he was the, um, the valet guy. And <laughs> he came walking up to me. He's teeny tiny. And, uh, I thought so. He looked it in the film, actually. He is. And skinny. He's lost a lot of weight in that film. Oh, but I like a skinny boy. I actually like well, a big... You won't know. I think he's... Mm. Say that again because I think you cut out about big boobs. What, moves? What did you say? No moves. I like a big boy. <laughs> skinny boy, but I like a big boy too. You like all the boys by the sound of it. So what happened with Joaquin? No, I had just, I walked, he walked up to me and I said, oh, hi, are you, are you here to take my car keys? And he's like, no. And I was like, hey, do I know you? And he's like, no. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. And we were just chatting, chatting. We were going into the same, um, the same venue. And then afterwards, my friend said, do you know who that was? And I was like, oh, I just really embarrassed myself. Ah. <laughs> and a friend. <laughs> Good. I thought well, I just couldn't take my eyes off his face. It was incredible. It was actually I had to take my eyes off it occasionally because it was very hard watching this man just kind of crumble and break down. It's like the origins of the Joker. I won't give too much away because there may be a person out there who hasn't seen it yet. Okay. But yeah, it, it was cringe and it was hard to watch. Um, it, it didn't go where I expected it to go, which was good. So it wasn't kind of predictable. But it did end up going where you expect it to go in some respects because everybody knows the story of Batman and the Joker and, and yeah, they've changed it a little bit. That was good. It was really good. Great. Yeah. He's a great actor. You always forget what a fantastic actor that man is. Yeah. Everything he's been in, is he's been wonderful in. No, he has. I like him. And, you know, we're friends now. So Yeah, you and him. He'll park your car any day of the week. He'll I'm sure. his car with me. Michelle, you're Michelle. I'm Michelle. And I'm Geordie. <laughs> and it says, eavesdropping. Say that again. Eavesdropping. Oh, Every time I talk, you get you cut out. Is that happening for you? No, not at all. Okay, well, that's good. That's just my no, end. No, no, you're one, two, three. Eavesdropping. Oh. <laughs> reason why we called this web uh this website this podcast eavesdropping is because every time or eavesdropping there's two reasons isn't there one eavesdropping because we are australian expats we now live i live in london you did live in london now you live in switzerland yeah and eavesdropping is definitely very australian way to pronounce it yeah and the other reason is because every time we get together in public, which obviously can't happen much anymore, you being far away, us being in a bloody pandemic. COVID lockdown pandemic, um, people like to listen, don't they? They almost stop what they're doing. One lady walked out of the supermarket without paying for her groceries. She was so engrossed in our conversation. And the weird thing is people often stop us to interject in our conversation. So, <laughs> you know, here we are. You don't even have to do that. You get it for free listening. Yeah, we thought you'd give you the opportunity. That the 
the uh, most of the subject matters of this particular podcast though is going to be you put it very succinctly the other day when we were talking about it super it's super in so many ways it's going to be supernatural super normal because that's us and uh super random because that's also (laughs) there may be some random committees in there but um but we're going to start the the series if you like if we actually make it past this first episode by talking about um, a, a subject of great fascination to me for, uh, from when I was about 16, when I lived in Canberra, which is where you also lived. Yes. When we were each other. Not how we know each other, is it? Oh, it is a Canberra connection. Yes. Even though I met you in London. Yes, we met in London, but without the Canberra connection, we wouldn't have met at all. That's true. Thanks to ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Yours, talk. not mine. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So... Crowley, I first heard, or Crowley, as I've discovered it's actually pronounced. Guy first. What? We've got to talk about him. We've got to, got to mention who he is. Well, he's clearly he's called Alistair Crowley. Yes. Or Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is a great occultist and other things, but I didn't know that at the time when I first heard about him. And did I mention to you that when I first came to Canberra, one of the first people I met as a 16-year-old, because I was living there, I'd left home and I was living there on my own, I met a young lady called Arlette who lived with her mother and a coven of witches in Ainsley. Yeah, but I'm not surprised by that because everyone wanted to be a witch, you know, when we were that age we won't mention the day well these late no, i'm talking about her mother and a bunch of ladies that were much older than me and her they were witches yeah she was being raised by witches <laughs> raised by witches i and is her name was her name really what was it arlette arlette that was her real name yep okay i wonder if that's something witchy so she you to the idea of alistair now crowley crowley we say well, so- Let's just call him Crowley and really uh, many apologies to those who find it irritating. It's like a Bowie Bowie situation, isn't it? Oh yeah, it is. Yes. But I'm, I'm with Crowley. I can't, he's been Crowley to me since I've first yeah. met all Aussies say Crowley. So sorry yeah. guys, T- today it's Crowley. Like broccoli. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> broccoli. And Which a lot of Aussies now call broccoli for some reason. I don't understand why. I call broccoli. Yeah, so do I. It's not broccoli. No way. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But yeah, it's the same as uh, pasta. No, it's not the same as pasta. Pasta. Because the Italians say pasta. No, Just the English go pasta. Yeah, no, that's true. At least they don't duvet. Duvet. No one says duvet. No, that's true. But in Australia, it's a doona. Where the hell did that word come from? I don't know. It's a good one, though. I like it. Doona. (laughs) anyway listen i'm gonna go back to crowley yes crowley so i first heard about him i was scared shitless of the idea of him because actually my blood would run cold whenever anybody would mention his name because i just thought he was some maniac that went about you know cutting up goats and um babies and whatnot and drinking blood but it turns out um he's so much more than that and probably not even that I was going to say, I, I don't think he's some weird, like, knife-wielding Satan. No. He's, I think he's just mad, to be honest. I think he's just a guy with a lot of money 
and he was a bit subversive back in the day because of the time that he lived and was around and he just wanted to do what he wanted to do quite simply and so he did yeah <laughs> and boy he did some stuff yeah um the next time i heard about alistair crowley was when i had moved to hastings for a year mm-hmm. um yeah and here's my story i'm going to start reading it now go Are you for ready? it i'm 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 excited to hear it okay here we go. Anecdotal evidence from many Hastings locals were that Crowley, writer, mountaineer, and wickedest man in the world, was a resident during the last years of his life. And upon discovering he was near the end, Hastings Council decreed that he would not be laid to rest there. Basically, they said, no way we're having that devil fancier in our consecrated ground. No way. So he was instead cremated at the Woodvale Cemetery in Brighton. But before passing, he cursed the town of Hastings itself. Okay. Apparently. So apparently the, um, the curse meant that Hastings residents would be trapped in the town, unable to ever leave again, which if you've ever been to Hastings, that could be a bad thing. <laughs> Wasn't your happy time, really? Wasn't my happy time. I didn't mind it. But it's, it's a city, it's a town of two halves, definitely. Um, but anyway, so basically you would be trapped in the town and unable to leave unless you took one of those many pebbles on the beach. They've all got holes in them for some reason. I don't know why. Some people say that people put them in there, but that's not true. Um, the pebbles with a hole in, you just grab one of those, you throw it out to sea and you wish for something. I can't remember actually all the details, but um, then you're able to leave. And I think I might have done that before I left just to be safe. Not that I'm superstitious or anything. Well, here you are. You obviously left. So the curse is, I mean, as curses go, it's a bit of a shit curse. Yeah, I think you could have done better. Yeah. better. And he gave people a get out, but you know, good for him. But he must have been pissed off. So that was his last little like, no, no, to Hastings Council. Yeah. So Alistair Crowley was born in 1875 in Leamington Spa to highly religious parents who weren't short of a bob or two. They were heirs to a brewing uh, company or no, maybe his father started the brewing company. But anyway, they had shitloads of money. And in 1898, Crowley, who had been studying philosophy at Cambridge, threw in the towel um, before finishing his degree and went off to travel, climb mountains and write poetry. Oh, sounds sounds so romantic when you say it. Like, I know. I couldn't love it. He sounds like that. He sounds like a real catch. Yeah. Especially he's rich, you know? Yes. So he was a massive fan, it says here, uh, of doing whatever the hell he liked. And thanks to his father's inherited fortune, he was able to do just that. Okay. He be- He became sceptical of religion and expressed an interest in the occult, joining the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, an esoteric order derived from the Rosicrucians, and counted such forward thinkers and bohemians such as William Butler Yeats among their members. You know who that that guy is? He's a poet. (laughs) Yeah, I know who Yeats is. Uh, he started his own religion. I've called it a religion. I don't know if it is actually a religion. Some people who are still followers today may call it a religion, but really it was more of a philosophical cult. Um, maybe not cult, an order. It was a philosophical order and it was called Thelema. I'm going to call it Thelema. It might be wrong. It might be Thelema. It might be something completely different. 
but that's what we're calling it today. Sorry. Uh, and their motto is if it do no, if it do no harm, do as thou wilt or what was the other, what, what, I don't know why I've written that because somewhere else it says, do as thou wilt be the rule of the law. I think was another version of that motto. Okay. Have you heard it? No, but basically it's that it's, it's almost like what the Christians say, you know, what do they say? Well, you know, don't, you know, do unto others as you would want to do unto you, which is basically cause no harm. Yeah. But what he's, the, the crux of this particular motto is I'll do whatever the fuck I want when I want. Yeah. It doesn't hurt you. You keep your nose out of it. Yes. And that was kind of his license to behave in such a way that he did, which was uproar in, in society of those days. So he was shagging. He was shagging anything that moved. He was shagging many different types of people, male, female, um, sex workers, not sex workers. I don't know. He was a fancier of long robes and ceremony and, and people didn't understand that in a highly religious society. And I think that's why he got the reputation he did, but I'm going to go on to explain a bit more about that. Uh, yes, here it says Crowley managed to get quite a reputation in the early 1900s for his experimenting with sexuality and drug taking. Yay. Wonder what sort of drugs he was on. All of them. All of them. Hoovered them all up, I'm sure. Oh, well, they were probably much easier to get back then because co- you know, Coca-Cola was just cocaine, wasn't it? And it was all strong. strong. And aspirin was laudanum and all sorts. Oh, yeah. So much so, so, it says here, by the way, this is the story I was telling you about the other day. So much so that he was thrown out of Italy by Mussolini himself and high-ranking Golden Dawn members found him too much. <laughs> Do you want to hear the story about why he was, what's that? Too much for Mussolini. That's saying something. Too much. Exactly. I'll tell you how this happened. Because you said you didn't know this story. I saw well, I'm going to tell you now. Crowley turned a dilapidated villa in Cefalu in Sicily. Do you know it? You're yes. Italian. Yes. You've been? Yes, I have. The Cefalu. Yes, carry on. So this has piqued your interest, doesn't it? I can see those little eyes sparked up. <laughs> so in Sicily, Cefalu, into the abbey, he turned, uh, yes, dilapidated villa into the abbey for its religion, for his religion, Thelema, as well as living there for three years from 1920. He was joined by his scarlet woman, lover Leah Hersig, and their shared lover, Ninette Shumway. Ninette? That's a name, isn't it? Hmm. Ninette. Ninette. <laughs> don't hear that anymore. No, you don't, for a reason. Symbolic murals, murals inspired... Did I say Muriel? <laughs> <laughs> Symbolic murals inspired, inspired by... Paul Gauguin adored the walls and painted a large magic circle on the floor of the main room for sacrificial offerings and other rituals. Yoga, orgies, worship of Ra, the sun god. That's all the shit that was going down. Blimey. Okay. And there's loads of people living there, kids as well. Crowley's lovers, lovers both had a child by him and sadly Leah's daughter died not long after arriving at the abbey. Children were free to roam around, and it's said that they saw some of the violent and sexual goings on. So there were some orgies. And I do, I have heard some bits and pieces that there were cats sometimes being cut, hurt. Oh, no. I know. I'm a bit upset about that. 
I don't know. There's no actual, I mean, a lot of this you have, as you'll find out, a lot of this is conjecture and, uh, you know, basically rumors which have been swelled up. Of course. I think he really enjoyed having his, you know, not cult. It was more like a, you know, it was like a commune for forward thinkers. Bit Waco in a way, you know, like they were all they were all there, they were all happy, they were all feeling free. You know, he's having sex with all, he's just shagging everybody. Kids are yeah. seeing weird shit. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a bit culty. A bit, culty. but who knows? We weren't there. Maybe it was just like anyone who thinks the same way as we do, a little bit hemmed in by the restrictive religious mores of society. Come on down, you know, chapaloo, bring it. You know, <laughs> who knows? Anyway, Crowley indulged in drugs and visited sex workers in the town. Famous British model of the day, don't forget we're in the 20s now, Betty May and her husband, Raoul Loveday, and they were really young, uh, visited the Abbey after Raoul had an operation in London which caused his immune system to fail. She, he, was de he was already heavily devoted to Crowley and his teachings. So that's why those guys went over and spent some time in the Thelema Abbey. At the beginning of 1923, Crowley directed his followers not to drink from a spring of water near the commune, but Betty and Raoul did, and due to his immune system not being strong enough, Raoul succumbed to a bacterial infection from the water and died in February 1923. Oh, gosh. I know. Now, an enraged Betty blamed Crowley, and once back in London, contacted the Sunday Express for a revenge interview condemning Crowley, spreading the rumour that her husband had died after ingesting the blood of a cat after a Crowley ceremony. This was picked up by the US and parts of Europe and cemented his appalling reputation as a beast and the wickedest man in the world was born. Okay. That is how he got his rep. Okay, but also he was... He was named that by his mum too. No, his mother called him the beast. Oh, okay. And I, as I said to you before, it's probably because she burst in on him a few too many times where he was like, you know, knock uh, knocking one off and, uh, you know, picking his nose and flicking it on the walls, all of that kind of thing. You know, that's what guys, they were highly religious. You've got to remember his parents. They were super duper. Mm. Can't remember what the name of their religion was, but it was something that was a brethren of some kind. Anyway. When Mussolini discovered, when he picked up his Sunday Express on a Sunday morning in his slippers, and he read the extent of what was happening, he forced Crowley to leave the country. And that was the end of that. It's still there, though. I think the ruins of that abbey are still there. Okay. Next time I go, I'll have a look. You must, if you ever get, you know, the opportunity to leave your country again. So anyway, there's this book of the law. That is the kind of Bible, if you like, of the religion of Thelema. It was written by Crowley. It's the, and it's the manifesto of his order of Thelema. And the quote, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That was it. That's the motto. Sums it all up. Some argue that it's just a green light for Crowley and his pals to shag anyone they like while taking all the drugs and being loose in robes. But devotees believe it to be more meaningful than that. And there are still devotees to this day, Michelle. I'm not surprised because this was what was going on when we were both in Canberra. People obsessed by him, you know, going, I mean, back in the day before the internet, not, not dating ourselves or anything. Um, <laughs> to libraries to look up these books did what, you know anyone who did what that was looking up these books or 
Yeah. Did you, did you know anyone who was obsessive about? Yeah. Crime? Yeah. Loads of people. It was a real Canberra thing. And, you know, they were, you know, we obviously had access to all these books in the ANU and there was like vaults of weird old books and, and people, I don't know what it was, but I, I feel like there was a, and not a cult in the, in the sense of, you know, like Waco, but there was a, a, a cult of, of excitement around the idea of him and, and this, this weird going to the dark side. And I don't know, it was just art school wankery because, you know. Well, there of, were a lot of goths at the time, if you yeah, remember. Actually, that's a good connection. But it, it seemed to go a bit further than that. And in fact, I think that guy that we've talked about who murdered that girl, he was one of them. I don't know about that, but that's for a later podcast. That is, but you know who I'm talking about. Yes, I do. We're going to touch on that later. Don't spoilers, Michelle. Spoilers. No, it's uh, teasers. Teasers. All right, that's a good one. Anyway, I haven't finished my story. It carries on. Go for it. In 1977, a band from Essex called Eddie and the Hot Rods released a single inspired by Crowley. Do you know that song? Do anything you want to do is what it was called. And it was number nine in the charts. Not number one, but it did well for a band that had just come from, well, apparently nowhere. Obviously, I don't know the details. Um, yeah, but that's inspired by his mantra, do as thou wilt. So their song was, do anything you want to do. You don't know it? Never heard it. Oh. I know it now. I bet you do, because it was such a, such a great rendition. <laughs> the singles cover, so the cover of this, the artwork, paid homage to their, mu to their muse by placing an image of Crowley's face on the front. At the last minute, somebody thought it wasn't perky enough as an image or a good fit with the song, so they put giant Mickey Mouse ears on his picture, <laughs> which some followers of, of Crowley thought was a little bit, you know, kind of, it wasn't his image yeah exactly it wasn't a cool thing to do some sky and that particular picture what i felt i felt it was like a like a, a picture that maybe he had done for a an expose on him or something or an interview and he was making a face to look spooky and ooky you know yeah maybe maybe but you know the picture i'm talking about i think it must be the very famous one of him that everybody when you look him looks like yeah, yeah. And the eyes. Big bald head, big eyes, and a pair of giant Mickey Mouse ears on top of him. Well, shortly after, the band were dropped from their label and their managers succumbed to a raging heroin addiction. So they believed they had been cursed, either by Crowley from the grave or one of his fans upset at the band for belittling their hero. Mickey Mouse, who wasn't happy. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> or could it have been one of Crowley's biggest fans, Led Zeppelin's guitarist, Jimmy Page. Oh, okay. That guy. Page was such a Crowley devotee that he purchased his old manor located in the Scottish Highlands near Loch Ness, Boleskin, Boleskin House, it was called. While resident at Boleskin House, it was reported that Crowley decided to perform. This is while, while Crowley was resident at Boleskin House, not Jimmy Page. Um, but while he was living there, it he decided, Crowley decided, to perform a particularly long-winded and elaborate ritual that would bring your guardian angel and turn it into a demon to do your bidding. That was apparently the, 
the thing he was trying to summon up. This ritual lasted days and involved a lot of naked prayers by a full moon, eating only vegetables and cleansing yourself over a period of days. Now, young Crowley was only 25 years old at the time. And at this stage, uh, yeah, he was still uh, quite excited by parties and living living it all up. And it was said that he received an invitation during the ceremony which he performed on his own to a wild party in Paris. So he abandoned the ritual without vanquishing any of the demons he may have summoned. Whoops. So off he trotted to Paris for a gay old time and left behind, uh, apparently left behind these entities embedded into the property. Or perhaps he had linked, he had opened a portal to the dark side. So not long after that, one of the manor staff had spectacularly fallen off the wagon after years of abstinence and tried to kill his family. Oh, then a grounds, uh, two of the groundskeeper's children died. Then the local butcher cut off his hand while reading a note from Crowley and another worker on the estate lost his mind. So these, all these things occurred after he took off um, with his robes flapping in the wind. Round. Huh? And left all the demons roaming around. Left them all roaming around, exactly. And uh, so many years later, Jimmy Page comes along and he, brought, he bought the property as he was a massive devotee of Crowley and thought him to be a genius. Does he still it, own it? No, he doesn't. Ah, okay. But we'll get on to that. Mm. It is speculated that Page would perform rituals and even convince the rest of the band to join him and sell their souls to the devil in return for fame and glory. And they did do rather well, but perhaps that was because they were a good band. <laughs> Page left one of his childhood friends in charge at Bolaskin because he was obviously on tour a lot. So while he was off being a rock star, he left a skeptical chap by the name of Malcolm Bent, who's a childhood friend, uh, who didn't believe in ghosts and demons, but he did in fact experience paranormal activity while being the, like the, the caretaker of the manor. He reported hearing sounds of a severed head rolling along the floor. Now bear in mind that Boleskine already had a history of haunting. There's some great stories associated with Boleskine Manor, uh, Boleskine House, I mean, that go back to the to, to battles and things like that. Um, I, I don't have it here, unfortunately. I ran out of time, but I want to go yeah, but also, it so it's on the edge of, of Loch Ness and that itself. And there's a monster in there. Yes, indeed. Apparently. Could have been summoned by, well, long before Crowley, actually. But well, perhaps that's why the manor was, I mean, who knows? We need to look into that deeper for another, another time, I think. Alex can uh, send us a message. That would be great. Listener. The listener. <laughs> <laughs> send us that message, listener. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, the, it already had a history of haunting and reanimated corpses rising from the graveyard. That has been documented. One long night, sounds of growling and snorting, snorting outside his bedroom door terrified him, but nothing was ever revealed to be there by morning. He had guests come and visit him, Malcolm Bent did, while he was living there, and one claimed to have been attacked by a devil in the night. And other times he would come in to find that chairs had switched places, doors would slam, and rugs would be piled up. But despite all this, Mr. Dent and his family, because he raised a family there, loved living at Boleskine. Right. 
The next owners, unfortunately, had no such experiences, they say, and hated any mention of haunting and devils, especially since they no doubt received many unwelcome visitors on pilgrimage. Yeah. The property burned down twice, Michelle, since then. Yeah. Once in 2015 and again last year, 2019. Hang on. So what? There's nothing of the old building that remains because it's been... Ruins. There's ruins and they've built it. So already once they've rebuilt it yeah. and then it burnt down again last year. I so now they're in the process right now of rebuilding it. Losing everything in a fire. Who would think? Twice. Twice. Oh yes, that happened to you, didn't it? it. <laughs> ah, that's another story. Have I, you managed to let that go? But uh, I feel, I feel like it's all of this stuff about chairs moving and, you know, not being possessed, but feeling like you're being pinned down. I've heard these things before, not necessarily from about Crowley, but this stuff happens. This isn't, these aren't isolated sort of things that you mm. never hear about. I don't know if it's crackpot or not, but. Well, do you remember I was telling you yesterday that uh, my kids are really into watching the Osbournes want to believe at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> which is Ozzy Osbourne and Sharon Osbourne sitting down and watching films that Jack Osbourne has um, found on the internet and some that he's filmed himself because I think he's a bit of a ghost hunter. Um, and he shows them these films and they have to comment. What? It's a little bit goggle box. Yeah. And <laughs> he shows them things and he says, what do you think guys? Is that real or isn't? And the kids love it. One couldn't sleep after watching it. And they have to say a couple of times you'll go, Oh no, that's just uh, that's easily explained or that's just a man. That's not Bigfoot. Or one thing that has shocked me, a couple of things did shock me of the episodes that I've seen. One was there's a lot of lights in a particular formation in the sky that people all over the world had filmed at once. So that's unexplained in my mind. And another one was, oh my God, it was horrific. Some CCTV of an Irish school overnight and fucking chairs were piling up on their own. Doors of lockers were swinging open forcibly. Um, Things were being picked up and dropped down. Things were moving across the floor. It was horrifying, unless it was an elaborate prank. Or, I mean, you know, was it digitally manipulated? It's hard to tell. That's the thing to my yeah very immature eye i don't know it's hard to know well it scared you you've got the it scared me anyway moving on according to rock legend the only member of led zepp not to have taken part in any occultist ceremonies was bassist john paul jones but the rest of the band and their associates were said to have been cursed or touched by awful luck and it was all attributed to a long dead Crowley. Now this is, like I said, legend. I'm not going to say this is true. So just please bear with. Huh? I don't know that you can. (laughs) You can't. Then I say, could it have been more to do with the fact that, that these young men had achieved a huge level of success and were going wild and enjoying the excesses of fame? Could At that time. Drugs. Hashtag drugs. Hashtag drugs. But this is this where it, it gets a little bit sad here. First reports of bad luck came when Robert Plant, lead singer of Led Zeppelin, his wife and their three children were in an appalling car accident on the Greek island of Rhodes, August 1975. They all survived, but both Planty, as I like to call him, and his wife were severely injured, and he even spent time in a wheelchair. A tour had to be cut short, and the album they were working on had to be delayed. 
then followed the mayhem that occurred on Led Zeppelin's North American tour of 1977. This is quite famous in rock legend. Okay. A lot of shit went wrong. One venue was sold out and about 1,000 ticketless fans gate crashed the concert, resulting in violence and arrests. Can you imagine 1,000 extra people coming into an already packed venue? Yeah, it sounds like Nirvana in the 90s. <laughs> then a severe thunderstorm cut short an open air concert and the fans lost their shit and a riot broke out. Because they, they couldn't go on. So they're all there waiting. They must have been there waiting. And I guess they were told, sorry. Right. Huh? I guess it wasn't a quiet riot. It wasn't a quiet riot, Michelle. There you go. <laughs> boom, boom. Boom, boom. Um, more arrests and injuries ensued and police waded in with tear gas. Jimmy Page spent one show seated with stomach pains, which were at first thought to be heroin withdrawal, but then revealed to be food poisoning. Then their manager, a security guard, and their drummer, John Bonham, were arrested. Sorry, did I say their drummer? Yes, drummer. Were arrested for nearly killing a member of the promoted staff in another venue after a fight, um, which occurred after a performance. I looked a bit deeper into this. Um, apparently, one of the roadies or one of the road crew or the touring crew had their 11-year-old son with them on tour. Okay. And I think somebody who worked in the venue had been quite cruel to that little boy, like whacked him or did something awful. And it word got back to the man. I think it was the manager's son, maybe um, the manager and John Bonham and whoever else was there. They laid into this guy and almost fucking killed him because he laid his hands on a little boy. It's worse than the slap. Oh yes. Oh yes. But <clears throat> it does sound a little bit like, ah, um, oh. Was it Guns N' Roses? You know, they have all those documentaries where they just go wild. Um, oh, no, it was Dirt, The Dirt, where they just, they're out. Oh, that film, I haven't seen it. Yeah, who was it? That's based on Motley Crue, isn't it? Crue, yeah. I mean, they're monsters, you know, and they, they are such little drug piggies. They've got no clue what they're doing. <laughs> who knows? Could be, could be. At the trough of Coke, Coke, Coke troughing. <laughs> and the rest yeah anyway then this is awful michelle then shock and sadness as news reached the band that robert plant's five-year-old son had died suddenly from a stomach virus thus ending the blighted tour that's very sad oh no yes some crazy stuff happened and jimmy page was certainly arrested interested in mysticism and the occult in 1980 drummer john bonham died after drinking 40 shots of vodka but cursed surely this is just the life and times of a successful rock band in the 70s <sighs> Alistair Crowley died on December the 1st, 1947, aged 72 of chronic bronchitis and pleurisy in room 13 at Netherwood Boarding House in Hastings, which no longer exists. I think they've knocked it down. And room 13. Oh my God, Michelle, I didn't even notice. Oh, he was in an unlucky room. <laughs> didn't even notice. Do you know, um, somebody said to me the other day, that uh, someone who's very interested in QAnon, we won't go into it right now, said, um, why do you think it's the rule of six? Rule of 666. Why is it? Well, they said because rule 666, it's to do with the beast and the devil. The devil's making us wear the masks. Oh. I was told by someone, I'm not going to say who. Okay. Let's move on from that because that's a hot potato. It's, that's a, that is a hot potato right that's there. That's a hot, 
hot, hot potato. Um, anyway, so that was room 13. Interesting, Michelle, that you should point that out. Maybe he chose room 13 on purpose. I'll have, is there a room 13? No, you've only got three rooms. Can you just put a one in front of that three? <laughs> I am Alistair Crowley, for, for God's sake. Come on, I've got a reputation to uphold. Anyway, uh, at the end, he was broke, addicted to heroin, and friendless. So that's the drug he was on. Yes. Okay. One of his books that he wrote was called Diary of a Drug Fiend. Did I say that? No. Yeah, that could be a good read. Just but going back to uh, to rock, rock and roll. Yeah. Um, I don't. I haven't actually looked at this. I just read it somewhere that apparently Crowley is on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's. Yes, he is. That's right. Did you look at this? Have you found him? Yeah. Oh, he's he's on there. Yeah, he's next to um, a, a, like an Indian kind of swami and somebody else I can't remember who. I, I did, I flicked past that because there was no real exciting story apart from the fact that they put loads of famous people on there. There are some myths surrounding that cover. Yes, I know. that There's a whole mythical thing about that. And obviously, you know, like John Lennon, why hasn't he got shoes on the crossing on their other album covers and all that kind of stuff? Oh, Paul was supposed to have been dead. Yes. Paul was dead or I don't know. I don't, it's all, all hearsay and nonsense. But I have a feeling that Paul will never die. <laughs> or I'm just going to touch some woods quickly because I'll feel bad if he does. <laughs> it's like I made it happen. I'm not superstitious. I'm not really. I am. Anyway, rumours of, an, of animal sacrifice and owning furniture made of human skin were unfounded, as was the rumour that he cursed the town. Okay. Some believers do feel that Hastings has a reputation as a murdery town, and that can be attributed to the curse. Well, For example. Yeah. What? Well, is it the curse or is it just, you know, poor upbringing? Socioeconomic situation, yeah. Curse. But, you know, every town has, has a murder or two, doesn't it? Let's face it. Yeah. But did you hear about the famous one? Uh, teenager Billy Jo Jenkins was bludgeoned to death in her home in 1997. And despite arresting her foster father, he was later acquitted. So her murder remains unsolved. Then there was another one. A teenager murdered and dismembered a vicar and left his body to be discovered in Summerfield Leisure Centre, which is where I used to do my pregnancy yoga, uh, pregnancy uh, aquarobics. <laughs> horrified i'm glad they didn't know that before rub the tiles before you went in <laughs> Hastings has had a high unemployment rate since the 80s it's also known for its drug and alcohol problems i mean I, oh i don't i don't wish to um you know <laughs> blast hastings either because it's a lovely place to live it's lovely um but basically it has a, it, you know, lots of drug and alcohol problems and a high rate of mental illness. But what seaside town doesn't have this? The town where I grew up on the south coast of New South Wales, Australia, is rife with unemployment and has a high proportion of meth addicts. I doubt Alistair Crowley had a hand in that. <laughs> oh, bum, bum. Or did he have a connection to Batemans Bay? Who knows? I'm sorry if I've, I've just uh, slagged off Batemans Bay and Hastings in one breath. Seaside town in the world. <laughs> I do love, I do love to be beside the seaside. I do. I love, I do love a little seaside town. And so they're literally, I'm landlocked in this country. Well, I'm going to Brighton next weekend with my kids. Oh, so nice. You know, it's pissing down right now. I think I'm going to need an ark to get there. 
Jesus Christ. No, you should see here, it is glorious autumnal sunshine. Oh, beautiful. Incredible snow on the mountains. Oh, that's nice. Than in winter. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But I'm just going to say something about curses, Mish. Well, yes, I mean, you felt like Crowley had put one on you yesterday when we were trying to get this podcast together. <laughs> I did. I was starting to think it's not meant to be. Or is it just two women who cannot get their shit together with technology? Yeah, it could be that one. <laughs> but nice to think Crowley was even. Yes, we're, be, we're being held back. <laughs> Curses have been described as psychological warfare on your enemies to get them into a suggestible state. I would say that any man who is known, who was known in his time to be the wickedest man in the world and whose own mother dubbed him the beast would be able to suggest to anyone that they had been cursed just by announcing it. And the psychological warfare would be completely self-induced. That is my Something sum up. That though, I think there are easily suggestible people. And if you tell someone you're cursed, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, exactly. Wrong. You compound, compound. Absolutely. And that's why you need to um, be speaking in a positive way at all times. Yes. Possible. Don't say, oh, I I never win the lottery or whatever. You've got to say, well, you know, my time hasn't come yet, but I'm going to win some money. It might not be through the lottery. It might be another. You've got, you've got to put a positive spin on it, haven't you? Well, that sounds very law of attraction, actually. Yeah. And I think it's more about, generating positive thoughts in your head you know if you're going to if you feel sad you say oh I feel sad then you're going to be sad I mean you've got to be sad of course you can't be happy without being sad I don't know what I'm trying to say here well I think it's you have to put a it's self-fulfilling prophecy if you think everything's going wrong everything's going to go wrong if you've put exactly things then positive things happen I, I think this is law of attraction And we will talk about Abraham in another episode. Okay. Um, I will say it takes a lot of energy to continually feel, try and think in a positive way. I mean, I am basically, that's all I've done my whole life. I've tried my very best to be positive and it does take a lot of energy. So I can understand those who haven't got that level of energy and just let themselves sink into the abyss sometimes because it's not always happy days and rainbows, is it? And sometimes it can get you down and you should be allowed to indulge in those feelings as long as you don't neglect yourself, your, you know, your health, your mental health, your physical health, your responsibilities. I mean, I don't know. It's easy when you open the door to those negative feelings, it's very easy to kind of wallow because you open the door a crack and it literally flings wide open. Yeah. I don't know why it's easier to, to kind of go down into the marsh, into the boggy marsh of, of negativity and sadness, but it kind of feels good down there sometimes. Yeah, it can do. Pulling yourself out of that is hard. Hard it's, work, absolutely. So, yeah, it's best to kind of um, keep, keep things even, you know, not let if possible. Or, or have some, sorry to talk over you there. I think that was the same. Talking over you the whole episode. <laughs> what's new um it's good to have a few what am i looking for um kind of things in your magic tricks bag to help you when you are feeling that way you know well i've i've got a very easy one what's that you do a fake smile oh when you're feeling shit 
like you force yourself to do a fake smile and oh. you actually cannot help but kind of laugh at yourself because it feels so terrible. Okay. Just sort of feel a bit happier. I do. do it you know what? That's just, that's thrown me back into the film I watched last night, Joaquin Phoenix. Once again, let's talk about him. He does a lot of that because he's a very sad man. He's got a very, I mean, the character has a shit life from beginning to God knows where it ends. Um, so he's got this, what do you think? Well, I'm not going to say anymore because obviously people haven't seen it, but yeah, there's a lot of smiling and laughing going on and it's not real. That's the Joker face. The Joker face. Exactly. But anyway, let's move on. Cause I haven't finished my story. A quote from Crowley. Okay. One would go mad if one were to take the Bible seriously, but to take it seriously, one must already be mad. Oh, <laughs> you're going to get some, get some hate, mail. hate mail from the Christians. From the, the one person that's listening to us. So it says here, there's still more. Look, he was indeed cremated in Brighton in what was called a black mass, attended by around three friends with no ceremony, ceremony or service. And that night, Hastings was rocked by violent thunderstorms. But as far as I know, the townspeople can leave whenever they want. Well, there you go. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny because he has this reputation as being this, like you said at the beginning, you know, like blood drinking Satanist. And, uh, and in fact, I do think he was probably just, just a bit mad. But, the, but there are so many interesting things. I don't think he was mad at all. I come on, he was at least eccentric. He was eccentric, but that doesn't make you mad, I don't think. Mm, yeah, I think he's. Always- he was just a rich kid who could do what the hell he wanted, so he did. Yeah. If I want to take another lover, if I want to be with a man, if I want to be with a woman, if I want to take all those drugs, I will. He was in- extremely intelligent and free. Like that's quite a free way to live, you know. Yeah. And it- and there were all these things going around, like the the Golden Dawn and all those kind of you know, Rosicrucians and interesting segues and side, side religions that had sprung up from the really restrictive religions that were about at the time. But he really was, he, I mean, he did do whatever the fuck he wanted. I mean, yeah. he's a famous mountaineer. Like he was, and I mean, there's shit around that too, which I know that you have done some research into climbing mountains and discovering, you know, mummies and Tutankhamun. I didn't. No, 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 I have a little addendum actually to my story. Okay. Touching back on the the curse thing. This is what I I think this is what you're talking about. The curse of King Tut gripped London throughout the 20s and 30s after British archaeologist Howard Carter uncovered the tomb in Luxor, Egypt. More than 20 people associated with the opening of the burial chamber in 1923 died over the following years, six of them in London, Victims include Carter's personal secretary, Captain Richard Bethel, found dead in his bed at an exclusive Mayfair club of suspected smothering. Bethel's father, Lord Westbury, who fell to his death from his apartment on the seventh floor. He was said to have kept tomb artifacts in his St. James flat, gifted to him by his son and Aubrey Herbert, half-brother of Carter's financial backer, Lord Carnarvon, who died of blood poisoning shortly after visiting Luxor. Lord Carnarvon had died five months earlier in Cairo from a mosquito bite which got infected. Suggestions have been made that Crowley would have found this excavation sacrilegious, sought revenge and masterminded the deaths. Now, when he turned from the the Golden Order, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn or whatever, 
he went to Luxor. I think it was Luxor. He went to somewhere in Egypt with his then wife, his first wife. And that was when he, I think he was in a tomb or a pyramid. And this is long before 1920, I think, because he was in Shefalu, like by 1920. He he met a spirit in a tomb of an ancient Egyptian who dictated the book of law, the book of the law, which was the Bible of his Thelema religion. That's what I know. My sources, let me just say quickly, were Wikipedia, National Trust, Rock and Roll Twilight Zone by Richard Surrett, Atlas Obscura, and the Hastings Independent Press. Fantastic. Thank you very much. There you go. Well, what, a, what an interesting little ep on uh, Crowley. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't cover everything, clearly. And a lot of it might be wrong because there's a lot of conflicting information out there about of course i mean there's loads of there's loads more stuff i mean he was so interesting about you know he was apparently um uh one of the people that inspired uh ian fleming to create the james bond character because yes because uh crowley knew fleming when he was was apparently in the um secret service and the secret service and uh he also was mates with aldous huxley brave new world Oh, you know, he's, he had a really interesting life. Um, not all of it sort of, you know, devil worshipping and, uh, and, you know, there is, there is a lot more to him, but certainly, I mean, more than one, ep- one episode, but well done. Love it. Thanks. thanks. Thanks for the info. You had a connection that you discovered that was an Australian connection to Alistair Crowley. Yeah, there was a, a violinist, uh, Layla Waddell, who was one of his lovers, and she's from Bathurst, of all places, and uh, was really instrumental in um, creating like the music that went to his live sex shows, hashtag uh, meant to be theatre. Oh, he was doing all this theatre where it was all live sex shows, basically, and she Yuck. was creating the music for it, and she created the music for... Um, uh, his religious order, which they still use today. And she's, oh. yeah, a little, a little Aussie lady back in the day. So, yeah, oh, there fun. are some connections with Australia. But, yeah, very, very interesting dude. We could go on and on. Yeah. But we're not going to today. Well, we're not going to today. Exactly, Michelle. Have you got anything you want to tell me that's, that's fun? Uh, I don't think so. More than apparently, he was uh, the UK's first published gay poet. Gay poet? That's what they call him. I mean, he's really bisexual. Yeah. And uh, Omnisexual. Yeah. And he went on this hunting trip to India where people were shot and they all think it's all because of him. I mean, I think it seems wherever he went, controversy surrounded him. Yeah. Yeah. I read something actually the other day about, you know, um, him being able to control people's minds. He was following a chap that was walking in the street and then he pretended to trip like Crowley did. And even though the man couldn't see Crowley, he then stumbled. Huh. Okay. But I do think that kind of thing is a bit kind of like, you know, what's his name? Darren Brown. Yeah. Yeah. He knows how to, you know, how to read signals or I don't know. Just some people which operate on a different level, don't they? Yes, indeed. Well, I think that's that's the end of uh, end of our little podcast for today. Um, So, what are you wearing on your head? You look like Bjorn Borg. (laughs) You know that my 
my fiance, he's Swedish. Uh, he would be very upset if he heard you pronounce. <laughs> That's how the Swedish say it. Bjorn. Right. You know, I've met him. You might have met fucking Joaquin Phoenix. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce his name. But Bjorn and I hung out for a whole day. Oh, was he sexy? No. <laughs> but he's not, his girlfriend was modeling in a show that I was producing. She was very, very young. But beautiful. Very young. No. Oh, she's a tennis, like American tennis player. Oh. She wasn't, she wasn't particularly, she was very short. Compared to all the other models, she was very short and she wasn't nearly as pretty, but she had to be in the show. Yes, of course. Yeah. But was it a Bjorn body show or no? No, no. It's just all the famous people in Sweden at, on that day had to all be in the same place. Oh, Bjorn and Benny, I almost met them as well if I'd stayed longer at the party that was later on. Well, you know, Frida, my neighbour. Does she live nearby? Next- what does she look like these days? She's a recluse. I've seen her on the balcony a few times. But- Have you? And I've had Dancing Queen on. She doesn't poke her head out, but... Oh, no, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) You're not yodel her name, Frida. (laughs) But no, she's a... Yeah, she's a well-known Zermatt local. Oh, Mm. uh, that's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, Hope we... Hope you join us next time. <laughs> yeah, if there's a next time, there will be. Let's try again. It's, at least it's a good chance for us to get together and shoot the shit, Michelle. A little chitty chatty. And <laughs> so I believe you've got a little little song song for us, Georgette. Well, I thought we could we could just uh, get our guitars together and just sing it out. All right. Where is it? We're doing it now. Show me, show me, show me how to do that trick. The one that makes me scream, she said. The one that makes me laugh, she said.